welcome back to the Craft and Career podcast series, featuring conversations with professional creatives from the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Here, we like to explore various approaches to craft and career, and even consider how those two can sometimes work together. I'm Derek Webster, Senior Associate Director for Creative Careers at Yale's Office of Career Strategy, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to today's guest, Patrice D. Bowman. Patrice, Yale College Class of 15 Film and Media Studies, is an award-winning filmmaker, editor, and colorist with over six years of experience. She's also the owner of the production and post-production company Bowman Pictures. Currently, she's submitting her new experimental short film, Under the Sun, After the Wind, to a variety of high-profile film festivals. She's also in pre-production for a proof-of-concept horror film, Father's Shadow. Her first film, Lean on Him, won the Howard R. Lamar Prize for Film and Video at Yale University in 2015. Her next short film, Saturday Grace, was selected for the Academy Award qualifying Real Sisters of the Diaspora Film Festival and won awards for directing, editing, and cinematography at other festivals. Her color grading work can be seen in a variety of places, from PBS Real South to Facebook's branded content. She also edits a wide range of projects, from company sizzle reels to music videos for artists at major labels like Rock Nation. Welcome, Patrice. It's so good to have you on Craft and Career. Yes, Derek. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Of course, of course. Uh, well, with your background, I, I thought it would be a, a really great way to dive into sort of the independent filmmaking, particularly in the New York area, and, and, and get some ideas in those directions. Definitely. So one thing that we, we usually start the conversations off by, it's, it, it's almost like a, a definition of terms. When we talk about something like career, uh, what does that bring to mind for you? Sure. So if we're you know, beginning our conversation talking about career. One of the ways that I've always defined it, especially after college and I started, you know, really figuring out what I wanted to do, I've always seen a career as different from a, a job in terms of a job is, you know, an activity that you take on so you can support yourself and, you know, maybe, you know, obviously support your livelihood and any sort of hobbies that you want to do. But I always thought of a career as a job or a collection of jobs, like within a specific area. In my case, that's in entertainment, specifically in, in uh, filmmaking and post-production. But it's also something that you're in for the long haul because you seem, you see this collection of jobs that take up a career as something that, you know, is important in your life in some aspect. You you connect with what you're doing, you connect with the people that are, you know, also doing similar things to what you're doing, and you find some sort of significance in it uh, as you continue to do it, whether it's like you get something creative out of it or you think that it can possibly, you know, change the world in some aspect. So that's how I would define a career. That's great. So that that's a real sense of continuity, right? Like that there's a there's a through line. There might be many pieces. They might be laying across the table, but there's a through line that brings them together. Yes. Um, that's a great way of looking at it. Okay, so, you know, for, for our show, Craft and Career, um, if career has that sort of continuity beneath the surface, sort of bringing the somewhat intangible together into a tangible sense, um, what is, where does craft fit into that? When, when we say craft, what do you think about that? So, yes, in terms of craft, I guess it's a little bit difficult to define it exactly, but I suppose if I'm going back to career, you could sort of take more of like a business look at it and like a more technical look at it. But when I, whenever I hear craft in terms of like the craft of filmmaking, it's always something where it could possibly be defined as a little bit more 
creative, I suppose, in terms of not just the day-to-day business of it and beyond like the networking and beyond the different hardware, software, equipment that you use. Craft is a little bit more intangible in terms of, uh, I guess, storytelling is one way to think about it. I, I guess like if, you know, if someone asks, how do you improve your craft? And I would answer, you know, just continuing to uh, watch certain movies or like read certain books. If I'm thinking about the answer to that, I suppose craft is a little bit more on that line. It's more like less technical, less business, more like storytelling. Yeah. And you, you mentioned creative a few times. Yes. Um, so does that feel like um, almost something in in that craft direction is, at least as we're using that term today, um, it's sort of when your hands are in process, when you're, when there's something, there are decisions to be made that are about the, the content, about the, you know, as you meant, storytelling, improving narrative, yes. thinking of, you know, decisions to be made on, you know, uh, for an audience perspective or an audience engagement, as opposed to that overarching, and where's the market for this thing, which often might be, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. So on the craft side, if we think about that as being, yes, less tangible, but in some ways, there's more personal gravity perhaps on the craft side than, than there necessarily could be, at least depending upon the filmmaker, depending upon how close they are to the business side and how much they enjoy that side, I suppose. But if we think about the craft as being what pulls you to story, what pulls you to project, um, what is it in your craft that keeps you alert, keeps you active, keeps you growing? Like, like what's that daily kind of process that gets you to the table, to the editing booth, to whatever it looks like for you on a daily basis? Like, how, how does that daily practice look for you? Right, so in terms of daily practice, it's a combination of a couple of things because I am both a filmmaker and also a business owner. I run Bowman Pictures and I provide post-production services for other people, including editing and color grading. So on a daily basis, we're looking at a combination of me continuing to, in terms of craft, one of the big, I guess, most straightforward things is just like sitting down and continuing to write screenplays for different story ideas that pop into my mind that I eventually want to produce through my company. And also a part of craft on a daily basis is also working on other people's projects because there is obviously, like I said, there's the technical side of things, what I need to do with each project, whether it's editing or color grading. There's obviously the business part in terms of invoicing and, you know, sort of making sure that I can incorporate this into like my portfolio. But there also is the craft part because when you're collaborating with other creative people in your field, they are showing you different perspectives on storytelling, whether it's through you know the, the different kinds of stories that they want to tell, or maybe it's a story that you've heard before, but for a different perspective. Being able to collaborate with different people and learning how they direct films and how they want to develop characters or tell certain stories from different perspectives, along with me continuing to write my own stories, I would say that that is a, a daily approach of how I continue to uh, approach my craft. That's great. If that answers your question. Yeah, absolutely. And and you mentioned too, even as you were sort of introducing the idea of craft and part of that craft is, is engaging with content, is seeing other material, that sort of thing. What, what are some of the, the things that you're reading or watching or, you know, just, you know, uh, engaged with right now that are, are pulling you along, that are inspiring you, that are kind of expanding your horizon in some ways? Yeah. So in terms of the times of content that I'm engaging with to expand my horizons, I mean, I don't know about you, but it's 
I find that it's really important to engage with different kinds of expression. So I, as a filmmaker, obviously I would be biased towards movies or television shows, but I'm also someone that engages with other kinds of art as well. For instance, I'm currently with a friend, I'm reading some books by this author, Toni Morrison. Oh yeah. She's a, you know, a very famous author who is famous for, you know, her stories about African-American life in the United States. Uh, but she's also very famous for her very developed characters and deep psychological profiles that she has for characters. And Beloved is amazing. Yes, yes. And she and she's an example of, uh, a, you know, a literary figure who a, a number of her works have been adapted into film and TV. So there's that crossover as well. Yes, there is that crossover. And, you know, even if someone doesn't watch the adaptation, they should definitely continue to read, you know, I bring up her books as an example, but just in general, engaging like with different types of art forms to see how different things that you can learn about it in terms of storytelling and character development. So I would say that's one thing that's been, I've been engaging with to sort of learn how to tell challenging stories that also have like very gripping characters. Because if you just sort of consume one sort of art, it might be a little bit easy to sort of uh, fall into different tropes that come into that specific kind of art. I guess in my case, it would be filmmaking. And I think that, like I said, we've seen like different kinds of art, like novels. I also am inspired when I go to like the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York and seeing like beautiful paintings there as well, which sort of inspire me in terms of how do you achieve like maximum storytelling when you just have a single frame? So I'm thinking about framing, I'm thinking about color, composition, things like that. So I would say that those sort of things I, I keep in mind to continue to sort of broaden my horizons and keep myself inspired. Yeah. Do you feel like as you're engaged with these different art forms, I mean, visual arts, literary arts, uh, filmmaking arts, um, well, which are visual arts, but um, do, do you feel that you have to keep a different lens when you're almost engaging with it as a, on, a, on a collegial side, like as a, trying to find out like, what did they do and how am I interested in doing this versus as a purely or more purely audience? Or do you feel like you're always, you know, as a filmmaker, you always have that you know, <laughs> that lens up, that radar out to, to try to find the piece that could be adapted or used or, or inspire you. Um, do you have two different ways of engaging with art or, or is it always the same? Right. So in terms of engaging with art, are you saying as a, both as just someone who's just an audience member versus someone who's also a creator? Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, do you, okay. would you go, let's say like, would you uh, pick up a Toni Morrison novel or go to um, a, a premiere for, for a play or something like that? And would you have made up a decision on like how deep you're going to seed yourself as, as more of an audience or more of, I'm taking notes. <laughs> I'm, I'm paying close okay. attention and reading, you know, that critical reading that's sort of required for you to actually like pull the material or are there phases, right? Is it the first pass is to, for me and the second pass is to try to extract material? What does that look like? Right, I, I've sort of reached a point where it's mainly that I'm reading it and yes, I suppose in a way you are extracting material from when you're looking at these different kinds of art. I think maybe when I was younger, I might've been able to just see it just as an audience member. But now I find that whether I'm reading a book or I'm looking at 
you know, some artwork or, you know, I'm watching, you know, some series on Netflix. I'm always constantly thinking, what is it that's working in this story? What isn't? And what, what sort of can I pull? Not as like, not from the perspective of someone who wants to adapt like another story, but just as a storyteller who can look at, you know, these different types of creativity and sort of figure out for myself, what can I pull from these different types of art to, in order to make my stories better, whether it's coming from how do I write characters, how do you sort of structure the plot, which is more on sort of like a, a pure, just written perspective. And then of course you have to think about it because filmmaking is, as you said, a visual art form. What is it that you can do visually in terms of when it's eventually filmed, in terms of planning shots, in terms of casting, in terms of how different things need to be constructed. How can you express character? How can you express plot points through the visual medium as well? Yeah, it sounds like it's at a certain point it becomes difficult to, to take that lens away, but then, but but it's important to always have it active. It's so important to be able to to, to uh, you know pull something in and be inspired in a way that eventually could become usable. Um, yes. So uh, you mentioned collaborations and the importance, and and because you you know are doing things your own projects and also projects with others. Um, what does community of practice look like for you? Um, we sometimes think of that in terms of other like-minded creatives that you engage with, that you trust, that you share material with, that you go back and forth with. But there's probably, I, I would assume, like in your perspective, there, there's also just the the community of who are my clients and and do I work with them regularly and, and, and those sorts of things. What do you think about community of practice? How important is it? And how did you go about establishing and, and continue to, to adapt your community of practice? Right, so in terms of community of practice, a uh, first thing, it is extremely important because in filmmaking and entertainment, as in any other field, I would imagine, it's in terms of moving forward, it's a combination of, you know, obviously your work ethic and your ability to learn new things, but also being able to form a group of people that actually trust you to with their work so that you can continue to move forward. It really is a, a combination of those things because yes, you can be a very talented individual, but you also need to be able to have more and more people be willing to trust you with their work so that you can, so that they can sort of introduce you to more and more people. That's really how you grow. So yes, it's definitely important. And in terms of for myself, how I've built this community, you know, since graduating in 2015, I, it's really been a combination of just continuing to work in different environments because obviously I have Bowman Pictures and I work with clients, but also before I started working full-time for myself, I did work at different companies. And at those different companies, I also was encountering new people and sort of seeing how they worked and getting along with them and sort of keeping in touch after you know I moved on. So that's one way of building it just through you know different coworkers. Also, ever since graduating from Yale in 2015, in 2017, I moved to New York for work, and I also was able to join different filmmaking groups here in New York. So through that, whether it's like in person or online through like maybe different Facebook groups, being able to have a community outside of work is also important uh, because one, it's just you have a little less pressure. Like when you're outside of a work environment, I should say there's less pressure in terms of getting things done. So it's a more casual environment, uh, perhaps 
you know, a little bit more free spirited uh, because there's not as much pressure to like deliver something and then immediately get paid for it. So yes, I would say co-working environments, meaning like, yeah, just job environments, right. different film groups, whether it's in person or online. And also another thing that I should say is that I do also like go to a church that has like a very nice creative uh, space in terms of there's like musicians and different people who work in media. So in those three environments, I've been able to share my work. I've been able to talk with other people about their work. And of course, uh, particularly in my job space in like the film community spaces, you get an idea of different fluctuations within the entertainment industry, whether it's like you know, changes in terms of technology, in terms of uh, in terms of like streaming content, and also in terms of like just one of the big things that really helped me was learning about what what's fair in terms of being paid. And those two communities really did help me sort of get information on that, as well as like helping me to get other jobs as well. That's great. Yeah, and actually, that that creates a fairly natural segue. We, we've been sort of focusing a bit on the craft side of things, but as we get into the idea of you know networking, connectivity, like some of yes. the traditional aspects on the more business side, um, supportive business side of, of filmmaking, let's shift over to career, the, the, the other C. Can you recall those first steps? Can you recall the first thing that sort of moved you in the direction and, and, and maybe as you define career, right, the, the through line, the connectivity, like w when was it and what was it that started, you know, establishing those first nodes that helped you to recognize, actually, this isn't just a passing thing. This isn't just an extracurricular. This isn't just something on the side. This is going to be something like a career. Yes. So I would say those first steps definitely started when I was in college. I originally was going to be an English major at Yale and then... I took an amazing film studies course and I changed my career to film studies. I think it might be called film and media studies now. Yeah, they added the media. It was it was just film when I was an undergrad too. <laughs> yes, so when I was an undergrad, it was just film studies and I switched over and I still was at a point where I, I knew that there might be something here, but I, I didn't have a concrete idea of what that was just yet. But then I started making like short films for different classes and I started writing like screenplays. And at that point, I also started working with other students on their productions. And I started working a campus job that required me to make videos to sort of um, educate people at Yale about our, our different media resources. So that meant making videos about equipment checkout and things like that. So when I got that campus job, that was a turning point. And that's when I learned, okay, I'm majoring in film studies and I understand now that yes, I can be paid something to make videos for some sort of group or company or things like that. And I saw the potential, not really in front of the camera, like I wasn't going to be acting or anything like that, but I really saw potential behind the camera because I was assigned to direct and write and do post-production, so like editing and like very basic color grading and a little bit of sound mixing for these videos that were explaining our media services at Yale University. And so after that, was that it? Uh, was the job at CCAM? Were, were you working over there? Uh, CCAM? Uh, it used to be DMCA. Yes, I used to work there. And I also would 
do equipment checkout at the, the School of Art as well. And also, yes, at um, Bass Library sometimes. Oh, great, yeah. Because it used to be sort of three different locations where all the equipment was, yeah. So wait. I think it's all, I think it's all pulled together into CCAM now, or, or the, I oh. think the libraries might still have some equipment, but a lot of it um, in the building that used to be DMCA, now CCAM, I think that's where a lot of the resources are available. Oh, wow, I had no idea that it's all centralized now. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. if, if next time you're on campus, we should uh, check out CCAM. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. Wow, that's cool. Okay. Well, okay, let me backtrack. I think mainly DMCA might have had like their own people on set, but I definitely remember working at Bass Library and School of Art to check out different things. Uh, but yeah, DMCA was still like a very valuable resource. But yes, that's that's sort of a beginning, like my first steps of realizing, okay, filmmaking can be more than just a fun hobby. It can be an actual career. You know, after that, I don't know if you want me to also talk about what I did after college, but those were my first steps. Well, yeah, actually, I, I wonder, if, tell us a little bit more about, I, I mean, this is one of the important pieces that I think aren't is not necessarily obvious, but it, you know, from your perspective, it can be really helpful to hear like, you know, that kind of entrepreneurial multiple engagements, you know, side gigs and first jobs. And, and, and what does some of that look like? Because, you know, as much as as a filmmaker, in order to make these things work, um, oftentimes it has to be sort of, you know, a grab of a, a few different things together. Um, what did that sort of period and what does it feel like and what did it look like? Um, give us a little better uh, sense of that, you know, the, the texture to that experience. I could probably pinpoint that as starting the year that I graduated in 2015. I was able to stay on campus a little bit longer because I was still helping out with videos for our media services. And then I was also helping with some audio visual work uh, for the different parts of Yale's campus. So that meant helping with like projection and things like that. So while I was staying on at Yale, at the same time I began looking for jobs outside of Yale because eventually I was going to have to like move on. I couldn't stay at Yale forever. So I needed to figure out some sort of plan of transitioning out of Yale University. So I started, you know, taking on different jobs you see on like Craigslist was like the one main source of finding jobs and income in the very beginning. And of course it's, you know, when you're just starting out, it's a little iffy. When I say iffy, I mean, it's a combination of people not paying or they just will give you experience or exposure, but not really anything else. And if something is paid, it'll probably be on the low end because you're just starting out. So, you know, I had my combination of editing videos for, you know, just having experience or getting a reference and not really getting paid or working as like a post-production assistant uh, while balancing my Yale job, which was very temporary. And it was definitely difficult because it's not ideal to not be paid for work that you do. Or in the case of the post-PA job, which I believe was my first one, it required me to commute from New Haven to New York to work as a post-production assistant for a feature-length film. I mean, that connection ended up paying off uh, a little bit later, I'll get into that. But yeah, just like commuting as well, um, not ideal because traveling from New Haven to like New York, it's definitely like over, yeah, it's over like two hours to get there. And that's just one way. Mm -hmm. Factoring in, getting to the station, getting from the station, yeah, absolutely. Yes, and then after that, there reached a point where I, I could no longer, there was no longer any opportunities for me at Yale. There was just like certain changes that were happening and for me to stay on, it really wasn't feasible. So that's when I started looking for jobs that could sustain me and 
continue to have me grow in the industry. So that's when I took another post-production assistant job for a reality TV show. And that one was not in New York. It was in Stamford, Connecticut. And at that time, I I think I might've moved from New Haven to West Haven, Connecticut. And I was commuting from there to Stamford. Wasn't as long as New Haven to New York, uh, but still just some substantial time. And uh, yeah, I would say that was one of the more difficult jobs that I had in the beginning, mainly because one, uh, this was my first time working full time as a post-production assistant in a different location, sort of a small office. And also I would say it wasn't the most ideal work environment. I mean, there were some people that I definitely got along with more than others, but it was for like a variety of factors. It was a stressful position that had me sort of question whether I could continue to work in the entertainment industry or if I should continue to do something else. Well, yeah, maybe unpack that a little bit more. I was going to ask you, um, you know, for sort of a a warning or inspiring or a combination of the two kind of story that helps to encapsulate the kind of experience that could almost be expected in those first few years. Um, Yeah, whether it's that one or a different one, tell tell me a little bit more, like something something that can help bring us into, you you know, even an experience that took you to the cusp of making a decision on whether or not you still wanted to do this. Well, yes, I mean, to dig a little bit more into that experience and to sort of have that demonstrate a broader lesson about working in the entertainment industry, I mean, the most obvious thing is, yes, when you first start out in the entertainment industry, you are starting at the bottom of the totem pole. And so it's going to be a combination of no or low pay or, you know, some people just not giving you the respect that would be great to have because they know that you are just starting out and you really need the experience to keep going. So. I would say that starting then, which was like, I guess, 2016 compared to now, I would imagine things have gotten better in terms of just awareness of unpaid work and then perhaps better HR resources as well for different jobs. But for that particular job, as you said, this was a a turning point in terms of me figuring out, am I going to let the attitudes of some people at a particular position and not being able to really showcase like my creative side as much? Am I going to let that, you know, push me out of the field. Because one thing that also happened there was that I was, as a post-production assistant, for people who don't know, that's a a lot of that is focused on sort of helping with paperwork and phone calls and organizing things in terms of physical files or digital files. And also, I believe I also had to do some transcription as well. So for those who don't know, that's what that work usually entails. I was fortunate enough to shadow editors and assistant editors who used Avid, so they had me sort of see what they how they were using that program and how they were editing their approach to editing and organizing footage, which that knowledge did help me as I continued to move forward. But yes, it was a turning point. And eventually I just, I stuck it out as long as I could. And then I just had to take a break and think about what do I need to do? And it was around that point where just backtracking a little bit, there was the job where I was being a post PA for feature length film and I was commuting from New Haven to New York. So one of the positive things about that, uh, besides the fact that, you know, the people I was working with on that project were great, the editor for that particular feature length film 
was able to serve as a reference for when I decided, okay, I'm not going to let this negative experience on this reality show push me out of this industry because I have a very fixed vision of like what I want to do in the industry and what I want to accomplish and how I want my work to inspire people. So I decided that I was gonna go back into the uh, entertainment industry. I started looking for jobs on Facebook and one of those jobs was a position at Vice Media and I, I applied to it. And one of the people who was in charge of sort of overseeing that position at Vice Media, he knew the editor that I worked with on that feature uh, length film, which was, I believe it was called Bikini Sunshine, but uh, it's actually called Bikini Moon now. It's a very independent film, uh, but that was the film that I was working on. That's quite a change from Moon to Sunshine. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but yes, I, I just, wanted to throw in additional detail. Like that's the project that I was working on before I was working on the reality show. And then working on that independent film helped when I applied to the job advice. And that's how I ultimately started my journey from Connecticut to New York because Vice is in New York and I, I moved for that job. Yeah, that's that's extremely helpful also because it, it sort of ties back into that sense of continuity that you established with the career question, right? That you know, all the pieces count, even if, you know, some of them are going to be more optimal, some of them will be closer to your target, mm -hmm. but actually sometimes it comes from a contact that's on the periphery or contact that you, you pass through and like two years later actually comes to, to become something. So that's, that's a really great example of how that sense of continuity, that sense of all of these things adding together, even though some of them feel far apart, um, makes for the story, right? Makes for the part that moves forward and sustains. That's great. So we usually uh, sort of wrap up, wrap up our first segment by looking at some practical kind of advice, sort of. Uh, um, so let's let's dive into a few of those. Sure. If you could provide just one piece of advice, you just kind of cardinal marquee version, um, to start a student uh, or a young filmmaker, let's say, who's who's interested in pursuing a similar path, what would that, what would the one sort of distilled version sound like? Oh, well, a distilled piece of advice. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is if a particular student wants to enter the entertainment industry, I would say that they really should figure out, you know, sooner rather than later how to be, what sort of practical, what sort of like technical practical skills do you have that can help you stay afloat when you're working in a creative industry? And I'm saying that as someone who is a filmmaker, like I write and produce my own films. And that is usually what people have in mind when they want to enter the industry. Like I'm going to make the assumption that a lot of people just want to be like a director or something or like a producer. Sort of when people think of films, that's what they think about. The, the, the director, the stars, some people think about. They're not thinking about international distribution at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, yes, that's true. They're not thinking about international distribution or um, even like sort of other positions that make filmmaking a reality. So I would say that when you're entering filmmaking, maybe think about a role that you can fill and sort of try to make connections to that role so that even if you obviously want to be a director, you have to figure out how you're going to survive as you are going towards that goal, right? I mean, some people might just want to be like, an editor like just do set design and film and that's fine like i think that that's totally fine but if they're going to go for something that's perhaps a little bit more competitive or like something that i guess the way that i'm thinking about it is as it really helps to hone in on a technical job that a lot of people need to get done but not a lot of people are going towards if that makes sense interesting 
It does, and, and, and maybe we might come back around to that in our next segment and unpack a little bit more how some of those things were influenced in your decision about you know, which skills that you move forward with and, and that sort of thing. That's, that's, that's great. Definitely. How about a decision and or uh, a mistake um, that you made along the way? Um, that if looking back, and I know it's always the, the, the gut answer is always I wouldn't change anything, right? But but forget the changing part. Like like what what's something that you can identify as being almost like a transformative node? You gave us one already, right? With that experience, but like what was something that that um, happened that you would probably advise that could help you advise someone else about that kind of a circumstance? Anything like that pop up along the way? I would say that in terms of a decision that I would perhaps like to redo. I don't know if it's a particular one, but it's overall just connecting with more people earlier as opposed to later. I will say this, it's difficult to do that when you're in college because you're balancing grades to pass classes and you're balancing that with extracurriculars. In my case, I, I also had a campus job and you also have to balance that with what steps are you taking to secure a job after graduation, which is its whole separate thing because you have to think about internships and also whether it's that's happening during college or like it's happening during a summer break, which I, I did. I did a, a summer internship at New Horizons Pictures, I believe. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. a decision the, that the I did stuff. in order to continue to make steps to make sure that, hey, there's people that I know somewhat or I, there's companies that are aware of me after I graduate from college. So I would say that my I could have done more of that. I definitely could have, but, but it's difficult, right? Because internships, as far as I know, I mean, at least when I was in college, they weren't paid. Very, very few of them, yeah. Or there really wasn't any, that wasn't the expectations. So I probably would have looked more towards opportunities like entering a New Horizons Pictures, which I also did like some other internships as well. There was a company that was in New Haven called Film Festival Flicks that I also helped out with administrative stuff. But I would say just doing more of that and sort of learning about what is it that you like and what is it that you don't like about the industry sooner rather than later. And again, just forming connections with people because one of the people that was, uh, that used to be at film festival flicks, she was, her name was uh, Jill Savaris. This is something where I did it, but I should have done more of it. Ended up working with her again after, you know, college. So I, I bring that up as an example of, with the understanding that Internships are, especially if they're not paid, can be difficult for some people to take on. For sure, yeah, and that's a practical reality we always have to keep in mind. But I do, I, I appreciate both the general sense of, yes. I mean, whether we want to call it networking, some people get a little squeamish about the concept of networking. Um, it is network, it's relationship building, right? Um, and the and it's so true that that is such just a, a, a staple of this industry. I mean, every industry, but particularly this industry. And it's so uh, important to push that and and make that a, a recognizable part of one's process but also you know specifically the new horizons and corman um that's a great example too because they've always been that's one of those companies it's, it's been yale friendly you know it's it hires yaleys often and, and there's a nice network in there in terms of you know the corman's willingness to connect people outside of the, those positions and those kinds of things so that that's extremely valuable thank you um and yeah, can you tell us something uh, about what's going on on, on your horizons? Um, projects you're in the middle of, that you're moving towards, that you've currently been inspired by art to, do, to, <laughs> to, to approach? Like what's going on with you? Sure, so I have two things on my horizon. One, a short film that I wrapped up post-production like a couple of months ago, Under the Sun After the Wind. 
I submitting that to film festivals. You know, obviously I'm showing it to people privately as well. So Under the Sun After the Wind, submitting that to film festivals, it's a short film about a woman who is in a room that's, she's isolated in a white room and she sees pretty much a lot of the events of 2020 on her phone. We're talking about COVID-19 and obviously police brutality. And slowly those images project from her phone to her room. It's very much a piece about, you know, obviously things that we're still living with, but through an experimental you know, storytelling way, uh, particularly with the projections in a cyclorama and it just being like a one person shoot. Uh, with pretty much no dialogue except for a voiceover. So that's one project that I, you know, I'm pushing in terms of film festival submissions and also just smaller private filmmaker only screenings as well. And the second thing on my horizon is, you know, going back to screenplay writing that I do, I have a short film that I've written called Father Shadow. It's me going into the horror genre it's about this young girl who loses her father to gun violence in the 90s. And she starts to see the ghost of her dad in her house around her neighborhood. But she begins to realize that that's actually not her dad. And it's something more sinister. So that short film is supposed to be a proof of concept for a larger feature length film that I'm still working on. It'll be my first uh, attempt at a feature length script. So I'm working on that. And I guess going back to inspirations that, you know, continue to push my work forward, that definitely will have bits of, you know, the Tori Morrison books that I've been reading, but also it's influenced by horror films like Hereditary or The Shining, more like psychological unnerving things as opposed to being just very violent or like gory. Cause I don't really do that kind of stuff. I'm not as interested in that. And also a combination of coming of age stories from a black perspective that came out in the United States in the nineties. So like Boys in the Hood, So it's like a combination of those different inspirations that are fueling this particular story. Yeah, that's fantastic. Those both sound amazing. So we we will come back around. So this is our first first talk. Um, We'll come back around, we'll unpack some more details, but this has been such a pleasure. Thank you, Patrice. I appreciate your, your contribution so far. Yeah, thank you very much, Derek, for your questions. Great, all right, so that's it for this segment. But as always, until next time, don't be afraid to use the word career, but always stay crafty.